The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed on the Nova Society are those of our guests and panel members and do not represent the views, thoughts, and opinions of any institution any member of the Nova Society is associated with. The material information presented on the Nova Society is for general information purposes only. Reproduction or dissemination for the purpose other than education is prohibited without express written consent of the Nova Society. We'd like to welcome everyone back to the Nova Society, and today our panel will be discussing the death, the recent death, of the Russian dissident, Alexei Navalny, and we're going to be talking about the impact of his death and what it means to the Magnitsky Act uh, that the international community did undertake uh, to have sanctions against countries that do assassinate their political opponents. So we're going to learn a little bit about the Magnitsky Act. So let's listen in. So what else? So what else? You got anything, Brooke, that you wanted to uh, hit up on? Alexei Navalny. Alexei Navalny. He's dead. I know. He's still dead. He's still dead. I know he's still dead. He's, he's still dead from last week when we mentioned Lexi Navalny. <laughs> I know, and it still bothers me. And and um, now apparently um, they finally let his mother see his body, uh, but they will not release it to her because he's a terrorist or something like this. Uh, and of course the. Um, what do they think they're going to bring him back to life and he's going to become a terrorist again? I I, I don't know. It's just uh, and and Putin was saying, well, the American the Americans or the the United States and the West uh, were responsible for killing him. And I'm thinking, you've got to be joking. I mean, there. I mean, how anybody would take that seriously is beyond me. But that was one of Putin's claims. But I mean, it, it, Russia can't both be the most, the most secure nation on the face of the planet and somehow have and an Americans be weak and decadent and this and that and the other and incompetent and incapable. And yet somehow have operatives get into their secure, very secure nation by the incompetence, get into this extremely secure prison and somehow manage to murder this man. It it is amazing. Yeah, I was just listening on to something on NPR. I don't remember which thing it was, but it was NPR. And apparently, in oh, it was fresh air. Apparently, um, in recent news, uh, a certain former president accused of crimes is now comparing himself to Navalny. Oh yeah, I heard that also. Oh, I'm like Navalny. Yeah. Okay. In being persecuted by the by the state, but this Incredible. actually does bring up a good a good very good point, which is something that is apropos to here. Um, now, I don't think that there's anybody out there that does not believe that probably Putin had Navalny killed. I, I don't oh, think certainly. there's I don't I mean again we're there's no direct evidence to that. We can't say that with any surety. How certainty? I can. Well, okay. Uh, I mean, I'm, not I'm not ready. There, I'm not ready but... to get on that boat. Yeah, I, I. But I would say that it's 95% good chance. So that brings us to the to the argument that was recently made here in the United States that a president should be immune 
from all prosecution for whatever he does. No, absolutely not. I mean, I would I would put that higher mark. I would put it at, you know, 99.9 repeating. I mean, Putin did not say, you know, put Navalny in this lovely hotel suite, give him the best of medical care and make sure nothing happens to him. Um, it was, you know, put him uh, put him in prison and then extend his his, uh, his uh, you know, extend the. Uh, the prison sentence and then extended again after trying to poison him with uh, military grade Novichok, which only the FSB has access to. Oh, I didn't know. And I didn't do anything. And we're not, we didn't. Oh yeah. And, and we didn't do anything and I'm not responsible. And then there's the, um, uh, when Navalny disappeared for several weeks and it turned out he was being moved from one prison to another, um, Putin said, oh, oh, we at the Kremlin, we, we don't know what where any one individual prisoner is. And I'm thinking, oh, please, Vladia, please don't lie this way. You've got to be you're you're the char you're in charge of prison X and you've got Alexei Navalny and of your own on your own authority with no input from the Kremlin. You're going to say, oh, I'm just going to send Navalny away from my prison. and." Um, I'm going to call up uh, Grigori here at other prison, whatever. And, and of his own authority, he's going to say, yeah, sure, I'm going to take this person and we're going to be responsible for transporting this very, um, this, the, the well best known person, uh, you know, the Kremlin's biggest foe and all this, and that, and the other thing. And we're going to take it on our own responsibility to move him and transport him and be responsible for him, moving him from A to B without any input from the Kremlin? I don't think so. And then move him again. And, oh, well, we don't know where he is, says Putin. Please. So um, to your point, your question, though, Mark, um, you know, the the question of presidential immunity, I think one of the challenges is, one, you know, historically, do we even have example we don't have any examples really to rely on in terms of presidential immunity but the argument that's trying to be made towards presidential immunity is trying to apply the title retroactively to crimes committed outside of the four years of the presidency which i think the the you know the question that's going to have to that our justice system is going to have to determine is you know they're saying presidential immunity can't apply the president should not be immune i mean end of story but you know applying it in terms of in terms of party politics versus the reality of you can't throw around the weight for crimes that were committed outside of the the office like you it, it doesn't work that way so no, how would you think about that actively either how how are you on presidential immunity well, we've discussed this a million times, it seems. Um, obviously, the president is just a citizen and doesn't have any more immunity than anybody else, in my opinion. I would agree. And uh, <clears throat> But look, let's get back to the Navalny. Um, you know, today was the is the day uh, just a couple of hours ago that um, the Biden administration released their list of sanctions or 500 of them. Last week, we were talking about sanctions and why they have been ineffective relative to the to the war 
because um, Russia has found other markets for energy, et cetera, um, willing, people willing to, um, to work with them on finance and things like that. But one, one of the things that I think got Trump elected in 2016 was his um, hatred of the Magnitsky Act. And the difference between the Magnitsky Act, which was also is also named after um, a target of Putin's, who was murdered uh, in, by by the Russian government, um, Serge Magnitsky. The difference is that there are other countries have cooperated in the Magnitsky Act, and and that you're able to uh, using them target individuals in countries rather than you know the country itself so that um in today's round of sanctions uh two of the largest companies by revenue in russia are um have been targeted uh, a transportation and logistics operation that serves the russian military and a um a producer of specialty steels. So the sanctions targeted manufacturers of lubricants, ball bearings, robotics, batteries, uh, metal parts, and um, and and designees uh, were sanctioned who are Russian nationals or resident in Russia, but also Russians who are living abroad. In, in, in other countries in the West and should be more felt by Russia than the previous sanctions, which were on, you know, major war effort stuff and oil and things like that, that um, China, India, and Brazil uh, have been, have been able to make up for. So these are a little bit more targeted uh, sanctions and and you know I think there's a good chance that they will hurt enough people individually so that they will put more pressure on Putin at least to um, you know to 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 not uh, commit such heinous acts as assassinating his political enemies. That might be naive, but um, I think at this point it's about what you can do. Um, the sanctions come from not just the Treasury Department, the State Department, the Commerce Department, and and um, you know they've gone after they've gone after a, a lot of revenue that I that I think will be missed. And as I think we mentioned last week, um, there's also a sense that they're going to begin taking money from frozen accounts, mostly in Belgium for some reason, and provide them to, uh, to Ukraine as a, as a kind of ref, um, reparation for the Russian war machine against them. Yeah. And I think, I think the re I did read about that, that they're looking at Belgium and I think Belgium it's because of the banking laws in Belgium. Um, one of the, the issues that we had was how do we legally do that? Mm -hmm. How do you, how do you, you, all right, so you've frozen money. How do you legally by our system or like the British system or the Germans or any of the rest of them, how do you legally make that happen? And I think the, 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 the workaround was that 
Well, the Belgians allow it. Uh, they, they, there was a bit about think talking to the Swiss because of course Swiss are, you know, the, the great bankers, but I don't think they trust the Swiss. I, I don't think the Swiss was, was, were considered to be overly trustworthy when it came to this. Um, so my, I guess, Scott, staying with the, with the sanctions, should we also sanction those nation states that try to go around our sanctions? Hmm. Well, I mean, is that doable? I think, I, of course, yeah, anything is doable. Well, but, yeah, well, God. <laughs> but, you know, you, you want to make sure that you're not hurting your your potential allies. Um, and certainly you, you want to play a careful game when it comes to China and India, uh, Brazil. I think I mentioned, you know, right. you, you don't want to you don't want to start making this a completely polarized situation. That's how you get into a, a world war. By by having people choosing sides, so so you keep it you keep it somewhat um, general, but you go after uh, specific specific people, right? I think that right now there are something like three hundred and forty people have been sanctioned under the U.S. Magnitsky Act uh, across the world, and it's had an effect. You know, it, it's been more effective than these broad sanctions have been. And uh, again, I began the, this rant by saying that that's one of the reasons Trump got elected was to, to get rid of the Mag Magnitsky Act. And he actually tried to do that um, and, uh, and was rebuffed by Congress, uh, which you know early on uh, sort of staved him off from some of the things, the pro-Putin things that Trump wanted to do. In his in his term in office, which were you know get get Russia back into the G7, which was a san a sanction against them, right? There used to be a G8 right. with Russia, and it's no longer there. And and to to get rid of these sanctions on individuals that are close to uh, Vladimir Putin, uh, mm -hmm. who are paying a big price for his actions, and and we've seen you know uh, how effective it can be. And, you know, when you look at um, a means to combat human rights violations and corruption, basically overall, and and how how individuals um, in Turkey and Israel and the Republic of Congo and and other places who were affected by the International Magnitsky Act by other countries, not not just the USA, but but the UK and different. Um, different uh joiners on that have been effective in in stopping criminal actions by other other countries so it's i think it's uh i, I think it's worth pursuing you know i haven't had time to read through all these sanctions that uh, were just levied on them today i know that three russian officials who had um had personal um Involvement in Navalny's death have been sanctioned. Uh, I don't have names for them at this time, but the but they were on the target list, and um, and and some other you know some other um, as I said before, parts of the the war machine, which should be able to slow them down from you know supplying supplying their troops in Ukraine. We'll see. Mm. 
that's something that's definitely necessary for the Ukrainian cause is is to slow down. It's awful difficult now if you read if you get the news as to really what's happening over there. You know, where the, there was one point in time where you could say, yes, the Russians were winning. Then you could say, well, no, the Russians weren't winning. Ukrainians were really fighting back. Now it's it's kind of come to a, an almost stalemate. And and stalemates last for a very, very long time. And one of the things that you want to be able to see is, of course, you want it for Ukraine. You, you want Ukraine to remain a democracy. But... If if it maintains if it maintains a stalemate, then it becomes an economic. It's it's sort of like the old sieges of the of of the the Middle Ages when we would siege put lay siege to a castle. They take an awful lot of time. They drain an awful lot of resources, and eventually it's down to logistics, food, uh, money, those kind of things that eventually decides. Uh, who wins those long protracted those long protracted uh, conflicts that are going on today? Yeah, well, it's like World War One's trench warfare, but with yep. better weaponry yep, and and exactly. more nimble weaponry. And I think the advantage that Ukraine had at the very beginning of the war was was more technical than anything else. It was they had technology to target Russian um, troops and tanks and things like that. And they were able to to knock out a couple of battleships and and chase the Russian Navy away from uh, Crimean ports and things like that. And and you know that advantage, of course, gets counteracted by the Russians, who are not slouches when it comes to technology. And now Ukraine is working on you know creating new types of technology that will overcome the the counter and on and on it's going to go. There's not, there's not likely to be anytime soon a breakthrough in this thing unless, unless Putin dies, you know, or is deposed. And, you know, there's been a lot of speculation over the last couple of years that he's sick or, and that this is like a final hurrah for him that he has to try to accomplish this in his lifetime and his lifetime is short. And that's why, he was so um, desperate to attack two years ago. The anniversary is tomorrow, by the way. Yes, um, but but that but that you know the 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 weaponry that we're going to eventually provide them, it will be uh, will won't be decisive, and will will merely keep this war going. And there's not likely to be um, any resolution for this. I think Putin is gambling big time on Trump returning to office and just trying to make some kind of deal where whereby Putin gets a big piece of Ukraine bigger piece than he had originally and and that the war ends and it allows Russia to retrench and they'll go attack somebody else somewhere or re, or redo this one we've already seen uh, just yesterday a uh, place that I've never even heard of before <laughs> Transnistria I can't. I'm not even sure I'm saying that correct. I'm pretty sure I'm not saying that correctly. <laughs> which is which is a strip of land that used to be Moldova, and is now now effectively part of Russia. And you know it's Russian speaking. It's you know the ethnicities there and the the lines are very unclear about who's where and what and who their allegiance is to. And and so there's this large strip of of uh, Moldova that is now a part of Russia, as of wow. like yesterday. 
So that's all the time we have for today's episode. The Nova Society is a production of the Phoenix Research Institute. We'd like to thank our sponsor for this episode, the Journal of Interdisciplinary Conflict Science. The JCIS is an open journal for upcoming scholars. The JCIS is currently accepting article submissions on an ongoing basis. The JCIS is a publication of Nova Works, a scholarly depository at Nova Southeastern University. A link to the journal is in our description. We'd also like to thank our podcast partners, Buzzsprout, who hosts the Nova Society, Audacity, who is our editing partner, and Podkite, who does all of our analytics. We'd also like to thank iHeartRadio, where people get their music and podcasts, Apple iTunes, the largest source for music and podcasts on the internet, Spotify, the most popular source for the Nova Society. The Nova Society is available on all these and other quality platforms mentioned in our description. We'd also like to thank our listeners. Without you, the Nova Society would not be possible. If you have a comment, a question, or would like to be a guest on the Nova Society, we can be reached at nova.society.podcast at gmail.com. Always remember, the power of society is knowledge. So for Dr. Scott Gershwer, Dr. Brooklyn Ann Weldon, Dr. Priscilla Hobbs, and all of us here at the Nova Society, I'm Dr. Mark Bound. Be well, and we hope to see you again next time.